Our scripture text for our sermon this evening is Psalm 37. The 37th Psalm. This is a lengthy psalm. We'll touch on many parts of it. We can't unpack every word. But as we read it, beginning to end here at the beginning, I'd like you to just pay attention to one of the main things we'll be focusing on is an eternal perspective on earthly provision and the way that Psalm 37 puts that before us and challenges us to do that, to adopt that eternal perspective on earthly provision, the way that God provides for his people, and how the psalmist David here weaves together with that a call to faithful living as we make that perspective our own. So Psalm 37, after we read this psalm, we'll uh, read the answer together for Lord's Day 50 as well, the back of our blue hymnal. Psalm 37, hear now God's holy word of David. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while... And the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken." Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster they will not wither. In days of famine they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish, vanish like smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be cut off. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall. The Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, or their children begging for bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. 
For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. They will be protected forever, but the offspring of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks what is just. The law of his God is in his heart. His feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their very lives. But the Lord will not leave them in their power or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a green tree in its native soil. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless, observe the upright. There is a future for the man of peace, but all sinners will be destroyed. The future of the wicked will be cut off. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. God's word endures forever. Amen. Lord's Day 50. If you would go to page 62, the back of your blue hymnal, let's read the answer together for our catechism lesson tonight. Page 62, in the back of our hymnal, Lord's Day 50. Just one answer, let's read the answer together in unison. Question 125. What does the fourth request mean? Give us this day our daily bread means... Do take care of all our physical needs so that we come to know that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our work and worry nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. And so help us to give up our trust in creatures and to put trust in you alone. It's funny how what is normal can really shift over the years. Sometimes those changes happen quickly. We're kind of seeing a shift of what's normal these days. But you kind of take a look over the long haul and most things have this very recognizable change over the course of a few decades. Baseball just started back up this week, so very exciting for baseball fans. And uh, the, game, the way the game used to be played was a bit different than today. And you can see kind of how it changed in stages. You can go back about four decades, and baseball was the sport that was known. There was no showboating. You never would show an opponent up, and, and if you did so, you would you would get pitched at your next time at the plate. They would hit you on purpose as sort of a, a kind of a major league spanking or something, a way to discipline them. This was, it was not the way that you played the game. Uh, today, uh, bats are flying in the air and fists are pumping after singles up the middle. And the, the, the way that the game is perceived, the way that the game is played has uh, completely changed, and you can see the, the, the massive difference and say, well, what, what's happened? Well, how, is that, how has so much changed uh, over the course of the years? I'm very uh, skeptical about 
reading books of authors that are still alive. You know, I think that uh, the test of time is really the true test. And so when I go back and I read authors about the Lord's Prayer, you, you see that prayer and approach to prayer has really changed quite a bit. And our society, uh, very uh, individualistic, they may be overly simplistic, but an individualized society kind of a society turned in on itself, very therapeutic, sort of concerned with our own feelings and our own self-esteem. The way we approach prayer is completely different. You read the men of centuries past, and I found a couple of different references to this, that uh, when it came to this petition, give us this day our daily bread, they, they were struggling because they, they said, it's, it's interesting to us that we have a, a petition about our earthly needs this early in the prayer. And it, it almost seemed like in their mind it should be way, way at the end. And um, I grew up a Christian, I grew up in the church, uh, but certainly kind of a child of the, the, the late 20th and early 21st century. And really my whole conception of prayer up till the time I was an adult was really about praying for our earthly needs, our provision, you know. Uh, you'd say, Heavenly Father or Dear Jesus, and then you just start rattling off all of these requests. And I still find that I can fall into that habit. You know, I, I like to pray as needs arise. So if someone says, I, I have this problem, I'm going through this, I, I really like to challenge myself to say, well, let's pray for it right here and right now. Um, we want to lift that up to the Lord. You really want to go to him in prayer. Uh, but oftentimes what that becomes is, is kind of going to God, naming this request, naming this problem, so-and-so is sick and we lift him or her up to you, uh, but missing really the, the, the pattern of prayer that we've learned through Christ in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, right? thy kingdom come, thy will be done, these, these wonderful, sort of majestic God-centered aspects of prayer, his character, his kingdom, uh, who he is, and wanting to, to worship and adore him through prayer. I think the way that we tend to think about things and the way that life is now, it's easy to fall into making prayer really about mostly our requests. And so it's interesting to read uh, those men of the past who, who struggle to say, you know, uh, obviously, Jesus' prayer is perfect, and the prayer that he gave us is perfect, but I'm struggling to understand why so early in the prayer he put a petition for our, our earthly needs. Well, this petition is there, and Jesus is all-wise, and he is perfect, and this is where he put it, even before we deal with the request to be forgiven of our sins, which is an interesting thing to think about. I don't believe that earthly provision exhausts uh, this petition either. I, I think that as we think about God as the giver of all good things, the giver of all good gifts, the one who provides for us, we think about him really first as a, a spiritual provider, one who feeds us bread from heaven and living water. And, but yet also we do understand that the things we have for sustenance in this life come from him as well. Psalm 37 is a wonderful psalm. Read through it. It's such a beautiful passage of scripture. It teaches us to view the provision of God and our portion in this life through the lens of 
eternity. And if we can do that, if we can adopt an eternal perspective on earthly provision, we not only receive the blessing of seeing all that we have as gifts from a loving father. It it changes our perspective. Now all of a sudden everything we receive comes from God's loving hand. But we are also changed to be able to live in ways that show that our ultimate hope is not what we have here on earth, but rather we use what God gives us on earth to strengthen ourselves, to serve him, and to prepare for eternity. So let's think about those things together. Psalm 37, adopting an eternal perspective on earthly provision. Perhaps you notice in Psalm 37 that that phrase kept popping up, do not fret, do not fret. <clears throat> and when we think about fretting, you know, we'd say, well, it's basically worrying. But in Psalm 37, it's, a, it's being troubled about something in particular, And what the psalmist is talking about there is fretting about being troubled at the fact that wicked men are getting ahead in life. Those who don't follow the rules, those who don't treat others well, can still experience success in this life. Do not fret, it says, because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Verse 7, do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. There's an instinct we have to say, if God is sovereign, he's in control, he knows that this person is acting unjustly, and our instinct is to say, why doesn't God just take care of his judgment now? Why doesn't he just make things right now? As God's people, one temptation that we will face is thinking that since we understand the biggest mystery about how this world works, right? God is in control, God has saved his people in Jesus Christ, and he is unfolding his purposes of salvation. Since we know that, that it almost gives us this secret into the way that the world works that could possibly translate into prosperity, riches, wealth. And you see that kind of message plastered all throughout Christendom. Right? There is this leader or this author or this pastor or this teacher who says, if you do this, if you follow God, if you do what I say, then here's how you, you know, receive 10,000% back from what you invest in. I can make you rich. We think, and it's, it's such a dangerous temptation for so many people who call themselves Christians Because we feel like we should have this in because our God is in control. It's almost like somebody who understands kind of the ins and outs of markets. I read a couple weeks ago there was a man who kind of prides himself on being two steps ahead of everyone. And he's often successful in doing so. During the the COVID sell-off of the stock market, he invested in something. It was way beyond my ability to comprehend, but he invested in something called a tail-infused hedge fund something. I don't know. And it basically, as the market plunges, he makes all this money. So in the, the, the month from like March 15th to April 15th, this stock produced 4,000% increase or something like that. So when everybody was getting all of their money in their retirement washed away, This guy is becoming rich. There's a temptation there as God's people to say, we should know what's to come. We should, since we know the God who is on the throne, it should translate into prosperity. 
That's not true. And that's not the way our fallen world works. We should qualify that by saying at least a couple of things. The first is this. God delights to give his children good gifts. He delights to give his children good gifts and blessings. And oftentimes, God does entrust his children with material blessing in this life, with with riches. But he gives it to us as stewards, doesn't he? He wants us to invest it in the work of the kingdom. And I'm thankful that I know many people who do exactly that. So that's the first thing. God delights to give good gifts to his children. And secondly is this, that all things being equal, living wisely, living with prudence the way the Bible tells us to live, living with responsibility, personal responsibility, all those things, all things being equal, will turn out in the long run for the better economically. If you do things the right way, if you address money issues with wisdom and with care, all things being equal, that does turn out for the better in the long run economically. But that does not mean that everyone experiences the same extent of material prosperity. Psalm 37 is concerned with a different question, though. It's not concerned with what the righteous have. Sometimes we read a psalm like this and we get wrapped up in this idea of what the righteous have or what the righteous don't have. Really, what David is concerned about in this psalm is what the wicked have. He's he's troubled at the fact that wicked men are prospering. They are getting rich. Many of them are cheating and still getting ahead in life. When we see that, what do we call that? It's, we say it's unjust. It's an injustice. The bad guy gets ahead and he never seems to get caught. But Psalm 37 reframes that whole discussion around a couple of truths. And here they are. If a wicked man were to prosper for his whole life, if he were to lie, cheat, and steal his way to great fortune, if he were to mistreat everyone around him and continually get further and further ahead, And die a rich man who had everything money could buy. It's still just a short time of pleasure that gives way to judgment and condemnation. That's the message of Psalm 37 or one of the messages. Verse 2. Like the grass, they will soon wither. Verse 10. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. Verse 20, but the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish, vanish like smoke. So what Psalm 37 puts before us is to say, view earthly provision, earthly possessions, what God gives to all people of the earth, view it through the lens of eternity. What happens when you don't do that? When you don't have an eternal perspective on earthly provision. Well, many things can happen, but two I want to mention. The first is this. We become anxious. And, and we chiefly become anxious when we, when we feel like we don't have enough. There's anxiety. We're fretting about the wicked getting ahead. Those who are lying, cheating, and stealing, and the way that they are prospering. So we have this anxiety. And, and why is that sinful? Well, it's sinful because that anxiety is saying, if we had possessions, we would trust in them. It's saying, I'm not rich, I'm poor, but if I were rich, I would place all my trust in those possessions, those earthly possessions. It's, it's like an idolatry without owning the idol. 
It's also sinful because we dishonor God because it's an open declaration that he's not sufficient for us. You're anxious about what you don't have in this life. And by doing so, you are saying that God is not all-sufficient for you. So when you don't have an eternal perspective, it gives way to anxiety. If you feel like you don't have enough. And if you perhaps do have a lot or do have something close to enough, what does it become if you don't have an eternal perspective? Well, that gives way to gluttony or enjoyment of earthly things, right? Not just talking about food, but all of a sudden, if you don't have an eternal perspective, now your days in this life are about consuming what you have and enjoying what you have. The time that you have been given is just time enough for you to spend on your pleasure. Your focus becomes on consuming and enjoying the things that you have not using them as stewards. And this all stems from not understanding that God is our portion. He is enough, and he is our all. So when you think about this petition of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us, give us this day our daily bread. What do we learn in this petition? First, we, provide, we understand or we learn that God is the one who provides all that we need, body and soul, to live and to serve him in this life. Right? God has the end of our life uh, drawn out from the beginning. He knows exactly how long we're going to live. And as his children, he says, I will be the one who will provide for you to get you from the beginning to the end. This requires that we adopt an understanding of ourselves that we really, we can't produce anything for ourselves in this life. All that we have is something that we have received from someone else or from something else. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. What do you have that you did not receive? And everything ultimately comes from God. We must adopt that perspective. The way that we look at the things that we have. It's not we who accomplished it. It is God who gave it to us. This petition also teaches us that it is good and right to pray for both a healthy soul and a healthy body. Because there is agreement between the two. Our body and our soul, there's an agreement there and it is good to pray for the health of both. Proverbs 17, a joyful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Third John, verse 2, this is what the apostle said. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So it's a good thing to pray for health in body and health in our souls. But the question is, why is that granted to us? When those things are given to us, a healthy body, a healthy soul, why do we have those? We have those so that we would glorify God. God desires that we would glorify him and serve him with our health and with our days. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God says, I've bought you, I've ransomed you. I've made you my own with the blood of my precious son. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to me. Serve me accordingly. 
So that is why God provides for us. That's why he gives us earthly provision. It's for the glory of God. It's for the service of him. Wilhelmus Abrakel says this, A believer does not wish to have earthly things as his portion. They are beneath him. He does not desire earthly things for their own sake, but as a means to something else, to maintain the body in a fit condition in order to serve the Lord. That is how we need to think about anything that we have in this life. It allows us to serve God. The ultimate answer as to, sometimes we can get caught up in this, um, this spirituality that uh, comes at the cost of the physical. God doesn't care about our body. He doesn't care about it. When that, uh, when that kind of thinking creeps up in our minds, we should remind ourselves of the resurrection the ultimate answer that God cares about our bodies and ourselves as, and he cares about us as physical beings. God provides for the beasts of the field and to the young ravens that cry, will he not also provide for his children? And it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God saves our souls, then he will also save our bodies because he cares for all that is within his control. So, returning then to Psalm 37, we have a couple of principles that uh, pop up there at the beginning of the psalm, and I want to focus on those for the rest of our time together. So, do not fret. Do not fret, and I suggest that that means adopting an eternal perspective on earthly possessions, on God's provision, right? We don't understand the mysteries of God's ways. We can't know exactly why he has given us what he has given us and given others more or less. We're not going to fully understand that, but we need to adopt an eternal perspective, the kind of inheritance God gives to his children. So do not fret, but then Psalm 37 says to do all these things. The first is this, trust in the Lord and do good. Do not fret, but trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in him as the giver. He is wiser than us. He knows what he is doing. He knows how to accomplish his purposes and his plan. So trust what he is doing in your life, and trust what he gives you. If you can adopt an eternal perspective and trust in the Lord, then the command to do good will much more easily pour forth from a life that looks that way, a life of trust. So many uh, commentators who are thinking about this petition in the Lord's Prayer say that this petition, give us this day our daily bread, is also a prayer that God would give us generous hearts, that he would make us giving people. Why? Because we have that perspective on the things of this life. Let your trust in the giver pour forth into generous living. Verse 25 of Psalm 37. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. So what God entrusts to us, he entrusts to us as stewards, not as consumers. We think of Jesus has several examples of this in the Gospels. A lot of his parables talk about stewardship. And God wants us to view our portion in this life as a steward, 
How can you use it for the kingdom of God ultimately? When Job is kind of looking over his life and and just really in anguish over the question of whether or not he's done something to deserve this horrible suffering, one of the main things that he points out is his generosity to the poor. And he said, if I've ever uh, been encountered with a situation where I should have been generous and I, and I wasn't, then this is justly coming upon me. But he says, for the life of me, I cannot think of one. I think I have always been generous to the poor. J- Job 31, he's talking about that. In Acts chapter 9, uh, Tabitha, it, she dies after she becomes ill. And uh, as Peter is going to address the situation, there are all these people who are crowding around and uh, weeping and pleading with Peter to, P- Peter to do something about it because of Tabitha's generosity. Both Job and Tabitha are wonderful examples of those who gave because they trusted the Lord. So trust in the Lord and do good. Secondly is this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. One of the false gospels of this world is that you will find delight, pleasure, satisfaction in your earthly possessions. There will be no ultimate satisfaction there. Thomas Manton has this really interesting discussion uh, at this point when he's thinking about this part of the Lord's Prayer. And he says, when God gives something to someone who is not a Christian, they have what he calls a providential right, right? So God gives someone who does not know Christ great riches. He says, well, they have a providential right to that because they have come into ownership, come into possession of it. So they have a providential right to it. But he says this, only God's children have a covenantal right to anything that they have. And what he means by that is that since you know God in Jesus Christ, you can look at anything in your life and say that it is a gift from a loving heavenly father. We all know that experience, right? When you get not only a special gift, but a special gift from a special someone and it has this added meaning to you that not only was it something that you really like that you really enjoy perhaps that you really needed but you know that it came from a heart of pure love and that's what, how we are to view all the things that we have in this life as God's children we have this covenantal right to say it is the gift of my loving heavenly father to give this to me we can even say Christ shed his blood to give me this good gift. And it allows us to say, I have exactly what my loving Heavenly Father has intended to give me. That allows our perspective on our possessions to be changed around. To say, this is what my Father wanted to give me. Even if we're tempted to be dissatisfied with our portion, we need to teach ourselves to say that. That's how you delight yourself in The Lord, don't delight yourself in the false hope of riches. Third, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Thinking about this with this idea of eternal perspective on earthly possessions, I think that this is a reminder, partially at least, partially a reminder to be diligent in our lives. 
right? To be content with what God has given you does not mean to be slothful, right? That's to abuse the doctrine of contentment. Well, God has chosen to not give me much, so, uh, you know, I guess I don't need to work for anything. I guess I can just sort of kick back and not do much. No, God is a God of means. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're also, well, we are also praying for diligence to go out and uh, fulfill our vocation, to fulfill our callings, to be busy about the business of serving him, oftentimes through work in this world. You cannot pray that God would provide and neglect to work. Just like you cannot pray that you would grow spiritually and intentionally stay home from church. Right? God, teach me. Uh, make me grow as a Christian. But uh, you uh, intentionally and purposefully never attend church, even if you could. That's not how God works. God is a God of means. So commit your way to the Lord. Be diligent to acquire his good gifts. Next, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. If you were to adopt an eternal perspective, what, is it, what does it need? Patience. And to have an eternal perspective means to be patient. God knows best. His timing is perfect. Even if justice is only known in the next life, that is enough. To be a Christian is to say, I can die with all kinds of injustice not having been solved in my life. I can leave this earth with loose ends not being taken care of and feeling like I've been mistreated and that hasn't been dealt with. That's what it means to be a Christian. Why? Because we leave judgment to the Lord. Evil men will be cut off, Psalm 37 says. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So be patient. And then the last one, um, well not the last one, but the next one goes from that to refrain from anger and turn from wrath. It's the same kind of thing. Turn away from wrath. Why? Because God is the executor of justice. He will make all things right in his time. You think about all of those things, right? That's, those are some wonderful instructions that Psalm 37 gives to us. Really important to adopt an eternal perspective on our earthly possessions. But as we close, I want us to think about how Christ did all of those things. Think about how he lived his life on earth. He trusted in his heavenly father. Right? Trust in the Lord and do good. He trusted his heavenly father. Every single day of his life on earth, his life was one of faith. His life was one of trust. Jesus was generous with what he was given, whether it be his abilities or what little material possessions he did have, right? He didn't have much, but what he had, he shared. He was generous. He was generous with his giftings. He spread his teaching far and wide. He healed the sick. He delighted not in the riches of this world, right? Here is Jesus is one who could have, by his power, enjoyed any of the pleasures that this world had. He had it within his power to take it, to grasp it. But he rejected it, and that should tell us something about where we find true satisfaction. He found it not in the, in the riches of this world, but in his communion with his Father. He committed his way to his Father, right? He was diligent to finish the work that the Father gave him to do. He was, he was patient in the midst of 
in justice. He came in mercy, not in judgment. So if that is the righteousness in which we stand, if that is the righteousness that we inherit by faith, the righteousness of Christ, and if that is the power that we have by faith, the power of Christ, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there he's talking about contentment because Christ is the example of contentment par excellence. He is the one who was content. He is the one who delighted himself in the Lord. If that is our righteousness and if that is our power and if we are given the spirit of that Christ, that spirit is given to us, then we know that these things These virtues in our lives, patience, contentment, eternal perspective, desire for communion with the Father. We know that these things will grow in our lives and be shown more and more if we abide in Christ and walk by the Spirit. If you live more and more by faith, if you continue trusting in Christ and abiding in Him and praying that God would allow you to walk by His Spirit, these are the exact virtues which will become to shown more and more in your life. We're running from the sin that is in our own hearts, right? We are so given to things like greed. We are so given to a lack of trust. We have an instinct to take for ourselves and not to share with those around us. And so in all of these things, we need the power of Christ as much as we need the example of Christ. So trust in the one who showed us this eternal perspective, this kind, the, the kind of life that's given to us in Psalm 37. These are all the things that Christ did. And you have the power of Christ in you by faith. So abide in him and God will bring these things in your life to be shown more and more. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word, for your church, for the worship of your church. We pray that you would build us up uh, in the faith through this word and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.